My business is Women Taking the Lead, and the organization is the main women's conference. It's completely aligned. It's part of my networking. It's part of my marketing. What did it give me? It gave me visibility. It gave me credibility because my business being women taking the lead, like I can showcase as a part of the main women's conference that I am taking the lead. It can seem like celebrity entrepreneurs won the jackpot, but there's more to this story. Behind the blockbuster coaching programs, offers, and live events are stories of careful development, fixed mistakes, and strategy. On this season of the Coach Pony Podcast, I'm sitting down with successful business owners to ask them, how do you build that? I'll talk to a wide range of coaches and leaders, digging into how it all started, what they learned, and what you should know if you want to play a similar game. And with that, let's get down to business. Today, our guest is Jody Flynn, one of the founders of the Maine Conference for Women. From just an idea to a successful nonprofit focusing on supporting women across the state and beyond, Jody has created something fabulous. Jody Flynn, you're the next guest on the Coach Pony Podcast. Come on down. Today, we are talking with Jody Flynn about how she helped to build the Maine Women's Conference, which is a conference to draw women together to connect, educate, inspire, and empower one another to assume new and expanded roles in the workforce, our lives, and our communities, which I love. Hello, Jody. Welcome. Oh, Christy, it's so good to be back. Yay. So, you built a statewide conference. So I want to know all of the details because I know there are coaches out there who want to host big events and might want to start a nonprofit to do a variety of things in their business. And the Maine's Maine's Women Conference is a nonprofit, correct? Is that right? That is correct. Yes. So exciting. Tell me more about the day that you guys got the idea for the conference. What inspired it? Well, Christy, like many things, you're sitting innocently at your desk, in your coaching business, trying to do your good work for your clients. And somebody sends you an email saying, hey, I have an idea, what do you think? And this email came from a woman who had just returned from the Massachusetts Conference for Women, and I had been to that event as well. And just to give people some perspective, the Massachusetts Conference for Women is put on by an organization called Conferences for Women. They have conferences in Massachusetts, Texas, uh, California, and Pennsylvania, I think is the other one. So they're a big organization. And in Boston alone, 10,000 people attend the Massachusetts Conference for Women. It's incredibly inspiring, high energy. And so this woman... Uh, asked me, you know, do you think that, you know, we should have something like this in Maine? Now, granted, it would be a lot smaller, but what do you think? And I was 100%. Yes, I love that event. I want to bring something like that to Maine. And so she sent this email out to a whole bunch of women in her network, and we got together at uh, a little town hall. <laughs> outside of Portland, Maine. Oh, that's so New England. It was so New England. It was it was very quaint and lovely and just talked about it. Like what's the potential and if we're serious about this, like 
are you willing to be on the board? And so that is what kicked it off. And I will say, and, you know, everyone should know, like, it's not like we said this and three months later, we had our first event. It took a lot of work because we were, we didn't realize it at the start. But as we started rolling into it and figuring out like, okay, what is this going to take? And how do we fund it? And can we accept you know, sponsorships and donations and what kind of entity are we going to be? All of the good things of business that you start being like, oh, I have to think about this now. It was another two years before we had our first event because we really had to form that board, form the nonprofit organization and full transparency, the board turned over. Oh, wow. All, you know, all but a couple of people because of the group that said, yes, we're doing this. Some people had life events that prevented them from being able to move forward. They loved the idea, but they weren't going to be able to dedicate the time. And some people, as we started making decisions on what type of organization this was going to be and how we were going to invest our money, because, right, you're making decisions as a group. Some people decided, okay, this isn't what I thought we were going to be creating. And so... I'm I'm not into this anymore. So in those two years, we were also recruiting wow. other people within the community to join our board. And luckily, very luckily, someone had recruited someone in their network who was an event planner for media publications. And so she was very familiar with putting on events. And so we had an expert and she ended up becoming the president of our board. And so in those first couple of years, it was largely on based on her knowledge and her network that we we got the conference over that first finish line. I love this story because sometimes we think things are a straight line when you see the end product. And, you know, most things, I mean, almost nothing is actually. And it sounded like you guys took a lot of different zigzags along the way and potentially maybe even didn't think it was going to happen at one point, but it did. Right. So it did. that's awesome. So flash forward to 2018 to the first conference. That's right, right? That was in 2018? Yes. Yep. Okay. What was your goal with your very first with your very first conference? Oh, gosh. We just didn't want to be broke. <laughs> and that was a real risk. Like you said, like at some points you wondered, is this going to happen? And at no point did I think it wasn't going to happen. It was going to happen. But, you know, being a new board member, you write a check, right? You're, you're seeding a new organization because initially you have no funds, right? And so, and you have to get started, like to apply to be a nonprofit, to get event insurance, to put a deposit down on the venue. You know, everyone on the board wrote a check and said, okay, I'm in, you know, we're board members. And I was wondering if I was going to have to write another check after this event so that we could break even um, based on board members paying more money. So what I really questioned at that point is, are we are we going to break even? So I got to know, did you break even in the first event? By like dollars, Christy. <laughs> wow. Like it was one of those things we were hollering, like whooping it up in the meeting where when our treasurer announced this final bill came in and we have you know, like we had less than $100 in our checking account after we paid that bill. And it was a victory. It was and it sounds like, God, this is awful. But 
But a first event, an event like this, when you're not sure and, you know, for me, didn't really know what I was doing, what we were doing. I mean, luckily, we had people, you know, who knew what they were doing. But you just don't know. Like, it's a big question mark. Like, you see the vision of it, you believe in it. But can you pull it off? Yeah, will their leap of faith pay off? And I want to I want to add a a tangential story here. So Jody Flynn has been podcasting for years and she, you attended podcast movement many years ago and I unconferenced podcast movement with you. I like crashed in your hotel room or something. Yeah. <laughs> you Hulk on. <laughs> and what that means is I was just wandering around, um, not attending. I didn't pay to attend. I was just there to network. And we talked to the founders a little bit and they had shared with us that they did like lost money on the first couple of events. And we talked to a bunch of other people who did live events events. And almost everyone shared this story of our first big event lost money. So I just want to underscore that breaking even and being even a tiny bit in the green is actually like such a huge victory because so many events like this, they're so expensive once you get into it. Yeah. And you can't stop spending the money because you have to have the venue, you have to have the microphones, you got to have that stuff. We had two keynote speakers, right? And we had breakout rooms. So we had to have AV and all the breakout rooms. And just so you you might be going to ask me about this, but I'll just yeah. throw out numbers so people are clear. And this is in Maine. <laughs> these are numbers so- in Maine. So put that in perspective because these are not New York City numbers, right? Or big urban area numbers. But our first event cost $65,000 and we came within $100, like in the black, like that's how close it was. So it was, it's not, it's not cheap, you know, um, there, there is some risk involved, but that's why it felt so amazing to us where it was like, oh my God, we made it. We broke even on this first event. I'm gl- so glad you're comfortable talking numbers. Cause I love to talk numbers. So tell me what was the most expensive line item in the budget? I think that year it was keynote keynote speakers the speakers of the more than the venue the speakers cost more than venue it was more than the venue the venue actually ended up giving us a break because we had um reserved the venue for 500 attendees and we got 275 that first year so they actually gave us a break which was what was very helpful to us they're like we'll charge you for the number of people who showed up but a good keynote speaker is going to be five figures yeah, for sure, and some of them are like twenty to thirty thousand dollars. I think that first year, our line item for keynote speakers was about um, twenty five thousand dollars. Wow, that's really good for everyone to know too. When you put on an event, you, as you said, Jody, your your speakers are the draw. Yeah, and so you want to spend money, but it's you you know you only have so much. So, tell me, what took the most effort? Um, in the planning of this first one? <laughs> was it getting the keynotes? Was it the venue? What was it? The pl- Honestly, this first event, it was figuring out who we were as an organization, getting organized, learning how to work together, right? Because mm-hmm. a lot of us didn't know each other. So the work was really in building relationships. And I'll say not to get too far into the second year, because I know we're still into the first year, but that second year was so much easier because we were all mostly focused on, okay, I know what I need to do. I, I just need to do it. Not to say that that there isn't like a bulk of work that needs to get done, but when you know what you're doing, it goes yeah. a lot smoother. A lot of us who were on the board that first year, we weren't quite sure 
what mm-hmm. we were doing. I was on the communications committee at first, and I thought, oh, I'm a business owner. I market my business. It, this shouldn't be too bad. Oh, boy. I moved over to programming before <laughs> the first event happened because I was like, you know what? Actually, <laughs> programming, that's mm-hmm. where my skills lie. And I had a great um, co-chair um, working together. We were both coaches, so we ended up taking on programming and the strategic planning for the organization, which was way more in my wheelhouse than marketing and communications. Wow. So planning took the most effort and the keynotes were the most expensive part of the budget. Tell me, if you could look back to that first year and do it again, is there anything you would have spent more on or less on in hindsight with the 2020 vision? That is a great question, Christy. I think... um, we probably would have come in at about the same place. It's it's so easy after the event to look back and go, we made all the right decisions. It all worked out. It was all wonderful. You know, could we have saved some money on keynotes? Maybe, but our keynotes were incredible. You know, people walked away. And in Maine, what we were trying to do was have an event that was different from any other event in Maine. And we had two national speakers and that was different. So that who, was- Who a, were the speakers? Was, um, Caroline Paul and Maysoon Saeed. Hmm. So that's, oh, sorry, carry on, please. You're saying you're doing an event that was different than anything else in Maine. Right. Yes. And so that that's one of the things that was distinguishing us. I mean, there's a lot of organizations in Maine that are focused on women, but they focus either on just the business owner or just the college student or just the stay at home mom, you know, that sort of thing, the startup business versus the established business, that sort of thing. And we we wanted an event that was had content and programming that all women could connect with and relate to. But what distinguished us was we we were ha- we had these amazing keynote speakers that were so interesting that people wanted to buy a ticket to come hear these women speak. But what had the event go great all day, or I should say, you know, it's like they were the draw and they were amazing. They definitely delivered. But I think when people walked away, they were talking about the keynotes. But what women were saying over and over and over again was like, oh, I met so many new people. Oh, there were so many amazing women at this event, you know, that sort of thing. So we were looking for things that distinguished us to draw people in because we knew once people came, incredible things could happen. Yeah, very cool. So I love it when people have a wonderful experience. So so in keeping with this theme, and and I, I really want to push this forward and talk about how things evolve and grow, because once you have a blueprint and once you have done something once, it becomes a little bit easier. You, you've got familiarity, you've got some templates, and then you can start expanding and building and tweaking and refining. So I'm curious, what was different in the second year of the conference? You know, was the budget bigger? Did you have, you know, was the keynote bigger? You know, what did you change or do differently? Mm-hmm. The budget was definitely bigger. We sold more tickets, and so we invested more money in keynotes. So when we went up another ten to fifteen thousand dollars than we did year over year, and we had a larger board at that time too. And when you're not creating the wheel for the first time, everyone goes into the event feeling more at ease, more confident, and so I felt like we showed up a little bit differently 
and handled things a lot better. Not that anything went horribly wrong the first year. It was incredible. Like I remember the first year we had, we almost couldn't go home at night because we were just like, oh, I can't believe it. That was amazing. Like what an incredible day. We did it. We did it. You know, it was just so exciting. But that, that second year you just walk into it like we got this. Like, we're going to have an amazing day. And I think we were feeling much more confident about how we handled speakers and how we set them up for success and how we interacted with the women who were in attendance that day as well. So there's there's just this more of a, a vibe of we got this going on. Awesome. Um, when is it every year? Tell me that. Well, the first year it was in May. Um, in the second year, we decided to move the event to September because there were a lot of w- other women's organizations having events in May, and we didn't realize it, and it was a rookie mistake on our part. We had done some communications with some of those organizations, and then their executive directors had turned over, and the new executive director was like, what are you doing? Why are you having this event within a week of our event? So we were like, oh my gosh, we... Our goal is to be for other women's organizations and not be a competitor to them. So we moved our event to September that second year. The third year, we were going to have it the beginning of October, but that was 2020. And I don't know for anyone who's listening to this podcast in the future, if you remember the year 2020 (laughs) and what that did. To in-person events. Wait, did so, something happen in 2020? Did I something miss? happened in 2020. Right. It just made it not a good idea to have an in-person event. It what probably wasn't going to make a lot of money. So the first, you know, in 2020, we decided to postpone the event um, till the next year. And when we did have our third conference in 2021, it was a virtual conference not in person. So we went back to feeling like we were doing the first year's conference all over again, like creating the wheel from scratch, doing it differently, new technology, new way of doing things, new way of interacting, new way of handholding and setting up your speakers for success, a whole different level of support needed in terms Mm -hmm. of technology and softwares and things like that. But I will say this, I'm I'm just going to dive in, Christy, because this is what's right there for me. It was cheaper to produce Mm -hmm. the virtual conference. The profit margins were greater. So we made more money doing a virtual event, but the attendance was lower than it was the second year. So that was a bit of a bummer, you know? So it's on the one hand, it's like, you could be like, oh, virtual events, you can make more money, you can have, you know, bigger profit margins. But our main goal, our main mission isn't just to make a profit. Do we want to make a profit? Yes, because we can reinvest it back into the organization and programming and softwares and technology and training and all of that for the for the board as well. But our mission is to touch more women's lives, to connect more women together. So I'm thrilled that we could do a virtual event. Like we made it happen and the those who attended were thrilled and got a lot out of it. And they were we got amazing kudos for how we pulled it off and how engaging it was. But I am I'm dying to get back in person this year. Yeah, I I think about that a lot. If we go back to our, you know, my unconference story where I was like drinking wine and <laughs> hanging out with you 
um, you know, part of the huge draw of a conference is the water cooler, the run in, yes. the chance to just chat with someone for five minutes or have a conversation, go grab a coffee or meet them for lunch or dinner. And if you lose that, it, you know, that's one of the things that's so magical about giving your time to a two or three day event. And so I can understand why you want to get back to that. And, I'm so hopeful that these things come back, you know, um, in force in the next year. They will. Yes. They will. <laughs> so it's going to happen. Looking back over the last couple of years with building this event, is there anything you would do differently? Oh, let's see. Um, something we did in the second year, because I, I mentioned that we sold 275 out of 500 tickets that first year. So of course, like right after the event, we, you know, did the whole postmortem, what worked, what didn't work, what could we do differently? And one thing we decided to do was to form strategic partnerships with other nonprofit organizations who focus on women in Maine. And we would do um, an exchange of marketing and visibility for one another. I think our strategic partnerships, we call them our community partners. So they're listed on our website as community partners. They helped get the word out about our event. And I think that's a big part of why we went from 275 to 500 year over year. Now, the word of mouth for the people who did attend the first year was a big boon. But our community partners just like even the space we're in right now, we're limited to 500 seats because... Maine doesn't have a convention center that can fit more people, unfortunately. What? I'm like, I know, Christy. I know. Um, so I'm a bigger state I, person, I guess. I'm sorry. I just I know. I but. mean, I I'm someone who and I had to I had to curb this and I have an amazing group of smart and talented women who help guide me on this because I'm someone who's like, if you're not getting bigger, right, then you're doing something wrong. And the the idea is, well, we can get better, right? Yeah. We can have a more quality event. Let's focus on that first. So that was coming out of that second year. It was like, okay, we did have the potential where we could have stuffed 600 women in this event, but the quality would have gone down because we had already gotten feedback that, oh, it's hard to get from one breakout room to another breakout room. So we had already started planning for, okay, how do we make it easier to navigate the hallways yes. and to get from one place to another? Can we do more things in the ballroom so people don't have to go up, yes. upstairs and into the breakout room? So our focus is on quality, and I'm hoping, you know, in the next five years or so, Maine builds a convention center where we could <laughs> we can have larger events. But also what this year has taught us is we can do a lot more virtual. We can also do smaller networking events. We can provide more programs rather than doubling the size of our one-day event. We can provide more programming and opportunities for women to connect, and it doesn't have to be just about the one-day conference. I love that. I love that. Multiple opportunities over a weekend, over different times of the year. Yes. There's also something, I mean, another thought too is there's something to a smaller conference that feels exclusive is not the right word, but that feels a little bit more intimate. And I, mm -hmm. I say this because one of the last conferences I attended before this, the pandemic started was I want to say seven or 8,000 people. And I hated it hated it. First of all, to the point of the hallways, couldn't get to the breakout rooms. The <laughs> venue was too small. So like you couldn't get, a, you couldn't get a cup of coffee because the line to get coffee was like an hour and oh. we only had 10 minutes in between sessions, you know, it wasn't enough time in between sessions to get to places. It was 
Like it was just, it was, the the stuff was good. The content was good, but it was such the logistics around it made it really unpleasant where you can go and actually like see people multiple times in a conference where you can run into them just by accident is so awesome because that's that casual sort of rapport that you can build. You see someone at coffee, maybe you sit next to each other in one of the workshops by accident, that kind of thing really helps you with your networking. And if you're, if it's giant and you know, it's hard to do anything, it's really impossible to build those sort of casual connections. So hundred percent. And I have to share this with you, Christy, because you're going to laugh. My mom attended the 2019 Maine women's Uh conference. And by the end of the day, she was introducing me to all her friends that she had made that day. And she was like, this is my daughter. (laughs) That's awesome. It was incredibly cute. And as a retired woman who lit, this really made me feel good as somebody who was behind the scenes for the main women's conference as well in planning this event. Because like I told you, we wanted it to be something that any woman, you know, could attach to. She was retired and she was living in Massachusetts and she had pages of notes from the sessions that she attended and she got so much from that Mm -hmm. day. So like even as a retired woman, she got a lot out of that conference and made a whole bunch of new friends. (laughs) I love that. I love that. So one question I know new coaches are going to have is how did you market the event the first year? And we know the second year you built strategic partnerships, which is a great idea. Mm -hmm. The first year, how did you sell tickets? We did a lot of social media. We, it was a combination of, and we also utilized some networking events. We picked a restaurant in Portland, Maine, and it was a space where we could have about 100 women come, and they also had TV screens, so we could put a PowerPoint presentation or slideshow, and we talked about our organization. We introduced the speakers that were going to be at the conference. We talked about what we were trying to create, and then gave women opportunities to buy their tickets while they were there at the event. Um, We had computers set up and also showed them how to do it on their phones. Um, But a lot of it was like, we we're a working board. So we were sending emails to our own network. We I was talking about it in my networking events. You know, as you know, I was a BNI member at the time. I was talking about it in my BNI group. And we were pushing it out on social media and we were getting people signed up to our newsletter. We were having our speakers promote the event through their social media channels. So it was a lot, it felt like a lot of like boots on the street, you know, yeah. just just pounding Just pavement, hustle. getting the word out, talking to people. How many people were on the board of the first one? Nine. So nine people were out selling tickets, marketing. Yes. Yep. Because we had gotten to a point, we definitely could have had more board members, but it got to a point where it's like, we can't dedicate any more time and energy to recruiting. We have to, <laughs> like, we have to focus on putting on an event. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's just, I think it's good to know as people think about events and planning them to know the real numbers behind what was going on. Because sometimes we think there's less people involved or there's more people involved. And it's sort of so helpful to know what was actually going on behind the scenes. Yeah. So if you had advice for new coaches who wanted to have a big live event or build a conference or even build a nonprofit to host a live event of some sort, what is your top two tips to a new coach? What are the two things you'd tell them to think about? Okay. So before your event, do market research. What are your people looking for? What's missing out there that people are are saying they can't find? Will they pay for it? 
And what experience do you want to have at your event? What experience are these people looking for? When we were looking, when we were putting together this third year, it's it's closest in my memory, so I'll share this example. We interviewed people who had been to our event, had not been to our event, but heard of us, and people who had never heard of us, right? Mm-hmm. And But they were all women within our demographic, women in Maine, of all ages, and asked them these questions, you know, and one thing that kept coming back, and we were also hearing from our own networks was connection. I feel so disconnected from life, from myself, from my family because of COVID, you know, everyone was feeling a little displaced. And so we created a theme all around connection. So I would say doing the market research to find out what people want and what they'll pay for is incredibly important. And I would say, um, get a team. You know, these events, you can't do them on your own. And you can't do them with just a couple of people. Like if you're going to put on a conference, like, hire, outsource, get volunteers, you know, whatever it takes there. Like, if you have a strong mission, there may be some people who will volunteer to help you to create this event. Um, and what's in it for them is, is like feeling good and networking and, you know, the opportunity I, we have a board full of volunteers, you know, who spend a lot of time to put on this event. Yes, we make money, but none of that, not money's not going into any of our bank accounts, right? This is, we have our own reasons for volunteering, but largely we're, we're all aligned behind the mission. But I will say, actually, let me, let me say this after having said that. Christy, is also utilize sponsors and exhibitors to help pay for the cost of the event. I think a lot of coaches feel like they got to pay for it out of their own checking account. And that's not necessarily true. If you have an event that people have said they want this, they'll pay for it. And you have clear demographics on the type of people you're going to market to and bring to the, the event, you can pitch sponsors and exhibitors to pay to be a part of your event. That's very, very true. I love that you've added in that third one. I want to come back to something you mentioned in terms of, you know, everyone was, uh, the board was volunteer. Everyone was in this for their own reasons. The question I think a lot of people might be wondering is what's the number one thing this event did for your coaching business? And Jody is a leadership coach for women, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just, just to be clear. But like, what's the number one benefit you got to your business from spending? Because this was a massive amount of time and effort for you. Yeah, it's a massive amount of time. And I also stepped up to be the president of the board. I was signing up for a two year agreement, and it's (laughs) going to turn into three years because we did we skipped an event cycle. And our terms are based on event cycles. My business is women taking the lead. And the organization is the main women's conference. It's completely aligned. It's part of my networking. It's part of my marketing. What did it give me? It gave me visibility. It gave me credibility right? Because my business being women taking the lead, like I can showcase as a part of the main women's conference that I am taking the lead. I'm the president of the board. And it also has opened doors because I am able to introduce myself to people where maybe, you know, especially when I'm reaching out to people on LinkedIn, people might be a little hesitant to connect with Jody Flynn, who's the executive leadership coach, because they might be thinking like, oh, she wants me to hire her to coach me, or she wants something from me. It's a 
different story when I say, hi, I'm reaching out because I'm the president of the Maine Women's Conference and I want to talk to you about some opportunities we have for your organization to get involved. So it opens doors. And then once, and I have be, built relationships with with women and men that I've sent these messages to. And it always comes around to, you know, if the the relationship is strong enough, they'll ask me, so tell me about your business. Like, what do you do when you're not doing the Maine Women's Conference? And so it, it's, it's, a, it's a relationship builder for me as well. You know, I remember saying to a friend, I think this was back in 2017, right? So before our first event, I was like, I am putting a lot of eggs in this basket. I really hope this works out because I was giving the Maine Women's Conference a lot of my time and energy, right? But it has given back to me and my business tenfold since then. That's an awesome optimistic note to end the section of the interview on. So I love that. And now... In keeping with our game show theme, we want to close out with a fun game. And this game, as always, is brought to us by two things, chocolate and awesome. So the chocolate today is New House, which is my favorite um, machine-made Belgian chocolate. And as you, everyone listening knows, I'm a chocolate snob. So there's handmade Belgian chocolate too, but New House is amazing. If you're in Washington, D.C., there's a New House store in Union Station, which is where I wander in to get it when I'm on the East Coast, because apparently that's the kind of person I am. Um, <laughs> the, the awesome is our Coach Pony program, Build a Real Business, which is a structured year-long program to help you build your business so that you get happy paying clients. And it's the only program that provides training support and community that grows with you in your business. And you can learn more at coachpony.com forward slash Barb dash invite. That's B-A-R-B dash invite. So Jody. We're going to play higher or lower. So I'm going to ask a few interesting things about your program. I'm going to make some wildly inappropriate guesses. <laughs> and you're, and if you're listening, by the way, everyone, feel free to guess along with me and put your own guess to things. And Jody, you're going to tell me if, if I'm right or if it's higher or lower. Okay. The ticket price of the first Maine Women's Conference is or was $200. I should be able to do the math, but I can't. Go ahead. <laughs> Higher or lower? Lower. What was it? I believe it was 125. Ah, all right. So that was for a one-day event, 125 for a yes, one-day Yes, and we had an early bird price of $99. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Okay, the price of the 2019 Maine Women's Conference was $200. <laughs> Higher or Lower. Lower. Ah, it was 149. So it did go up. It did go up. Yep. And our early bird price. Well, then we had we had a special price for people who attended. So you could, uh -huh. if you act, if you bought in a timely manner, you could buy a ticket for ninety nine dollars, and then we had an early bird price of one twenty five. So a, re a returner's price, if you will. Mm -hmm. And we also had, I will say this just to give people another nugget, we had a discount that if you bought 10 tickets or more, the um, ticketing website would automatically discount 10% on each ah. ticket that was 10 or additional. I love that. There is a bulk pricing. That's, that's cool. That's a really interesting idea. 
So I'm going to guess that the number of people who attended the 2021 conference, which was virtual, was 200. I'm really liking this number. Yeah. Higher or lower? Higher. Okay. What was it? I think we were just over 300 attendees. (sighs) Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. And... The number of times the price changed before you launched in 2018 was three. You set three different prices before you agreed on the final price of the program, higher or lower? I would say lower. Trying to remember. Lower. I would, I would say we didn't, um, we maybe talked about it twice because, and you'll appreciate this, it was one of those time periods where it's like, we got to make a decision and move on. Right. So we can't we cannot stretch this out like we decide we market we get this going. Last one, the number of volunteers you had at the 20 the second annual Maine Women, Women's Conference of the second live one was 20 volunteers higher or lower. It was higher. You know, I don't know the exact number. We had 125 comp tickets, but some of those went to sponsorship packages. But if you think about our board is volunteer, we had day of volunteers. We had all of our speakers had a room volunteer. We had handlers for our mm. keynote speakers. So I would say we, we probably had a, a minimum 50 to 60 volunteers. Wow. That's a really cool percentage to know for anyone who's looking at their conference, looking at hosting a conference. I love being handled. I was a keynote at a conference years ago. It was big enough where we had handlers and it was very fun. (laughs) Oh, if you have a good handlers, our handlers were top notch. Our keynote speakers wrote us thank you notes about the handlers because they were so wonderful. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So With that, I want to close out this episode of the podcast. And Jody, tell everyone where to find you. Oh, you can find me at my hub. It's womentakingthelead.com and women is plural and LinkedIn is my hub. So if you're on LinkedIn and comfortable with LinkedIn, find me there, Jody Flynn. Oh, by the way, you guys, Jody says if you contact her on LinkedIn, she will write you back. I've heard that. Is that still true? Yeah, like she, Jody's not going to ignore you. That is 100% true. When is the date of the next main women's conference? And uh, where do people go if they're interested? Right. And well, I'm going to tell you that in a second, but I'm going to say if you reach out to me on LinkedIn, tell me you heard me on Coach Pony and I will give you extra special treatment for <gasps> listening to this podcast. So awesome. just just drop that in your note and you you will feel the love. The next main women's conference is happening on October 26th of 2022. Awesome. And can people find it on, is there a website they can check out? Yep. Our website is themainwomensconference.org and Maine is spelled with an E at the end. Not Main Street, Maine, the state. (laughs) Awesome. So everyone, please go check it out. Definitely befriend Jody on LinkedIn. Check out Women Taking the Lead. And if you are in Maine or you love traveling to New England, then by all means, check out the conference as well. Come leaf peeping in October. (laughs) (laughs) And with that, we will see you in the next episode. As always, thanks for listening. I appreciate you. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe and share it with another coach. And if you need more practical business help for the love of chocolate, please go to coachpony.com and sign up for a free guide and business training designed to help you get paying clients. 
We'll see you over at www.coachpony.com.